Amen. Good morning. You guys can be seated. How's everyone doing? Good. My name's Kyle. We're so glad to see each and every one of you here today. Uh, I don't know about you, but I worship Jesus for a lot of reasons during this season. I worship him because he's good to us and he gives us air conditioners. Amen. Uh, it's really, really hot outside these days, and I know that you're very thankful. Uh, yesterday, we got to go to what you know I enjoy so much, swim meets. They're long, and uh, they're really, really hot. And so this one was in the evening. Uh, it was about 163 degrees in there. And uh, anyway, we had family and friends there, and uh, we were all kind of suffering through the heat. And we also had a bunch of uh, HC family around us, too, that was watching their kids. And we were kind of talking about being hot and sweating and dehydrating, and someone made the comment, yeah, we could just, you know, dehydrate them. We wouldn't sweat anymore. And I said, yeah, then we die. And I said, but at least where we're going, it'll be cooler than this, right? Like, because we all knew Jesus, right? So anyway, just one of those moments, but it's a joy to worship with you today and to get into God's Word. We're going to be back in our series today called Love Illuminated as we're looking in the book of First John. There's a lot of confusion out there when it comes to Christianity. And I think one area of major confusion for a lot of people within, uh, within Christianity uh, kind of revolves around this question. And this question is, am I secure in my salvation? Am I secure in my salvation? And if you're like me, you could follow that question up and kind of make this statement, I sin, so does that mean I'm out, right? Like when I mess up, when I don't go the direction I ought to go, when I don't do what I ought to do, where does that leave me in relationship with God? Well, today as we continue to look at 1 John and we continue to unpack this idea of love being illuminated, John is going to speak into this huge question that we wrestle with. We're going to continue to be able to look at it more as we go throughout the book of 1 John. And I pray that today that the love of God will just illuminate our hearts with truth and with hope and the salvation of Jesus as we look into. So today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to pick up at the last part of chapter 2 in verse number 28. I think this is a good moment to remind us that we're reading a letter. And when this was originally written, it was written in paragraph form. Uh, there were no chapters. There were no verses. In fact, none of the scripture was written like that. Uh, later on, after scripture was written, they found it to be helpful to put uh, chapters and verses there for us to reference where we are in scripture. And it indeed is helpful. But I think as we read today and we read it in context, we'll realize we're actually picking up uh, a paragraph that has to continue in through chapter 3, and it's going to flow right into what we're reading today. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, reading this letter that John, this old man that's been following Jesus for a lot of years, writes to the people of God. And so 1 John chapter 2, if you need a Bible, there's one in the seat um, in front of you underneath there. You can grab that. And where we are today is on page 1032, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. John begins writing in verse 28. And now, dear children, if you have been with us throughout this first John, you've heard John reference God's followers as children quite a few times. There are really two big reasons why he's doing this. One, he's a really old man. He's probably in his 90s. Uh, he's been following Jesus for a long time, and pretty much anybody around him felt like a kid to him. In fact, living into your 90s then was really, really unheard of, especially if you were an apostle. 
if you read the history of the apostles, most of them, not only did they die early, but they died early because they were martyred for their faith. And for whatever reason, of which I think one of those reasons is we get to read what John wrote as an old man, God decided to spare John and let him live a really, really long life. And uh, people in that day and age just didn't live up into their 90s. And so he's looking at us and, and he's, he's saying uh, and calling us children, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing to be called. Um, we've got a bunch of babies that have been born this year at Holland Chapel. We've got a bunch more babies that will be born. Uh, the Yazas had their baby this week when our pastors had their baby. Really excited for them. Little little guy showed up or big guy showed up and uh, they're doing great and, and a lot more babies. Uh, I see these mamas coming in in this heat. I'm like, somebody put a fan on them while they walk through the parking lot, right? Something about having a child that shifts everything in your life, right? And one of those things that I think it does for us when we have children or when we're around little ones is I believe it allows us to get a little bit of a deeper understanding of God, his affection for us, his love for us, and his care for us. And as John is calling us dear children, he's viewing us that way, but he's also viewing us as God's children. He's going to talk about that a lot. Again, verse 28, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when he returns, when who returns? When Christ returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. So, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus came the first time. He came here, he lived amongst people like you and people like me. He did it perfectly. He came as the sacrifice for our sins. He was crucified on a cross. He came back from the dead. He is alive today. And one of these days, Jesus is coming back again. And this is, yeah, celebrate that. Amen. That's good stuff. We're looking for, that's our hope, right? And so here we're being reminded that Jesus is coming back for his people one day. So, It's an exciting thing to think about, Jesus coming back and making everything right. But as we think about Jesus coming back, I want to ask you this question. You're going to see it on the screen, and that is this. What is your response to Jesus coming back? What is your response as you think forward to today or tomorrow or the next day or 10 years from now, Jesus coming back? Does it cause you to... Be emboldened, or does it cause you to to be weak in the knees? Does it cause you to be excited to see him or to shrink back in shame? And Well, it depends on what we've been up to lately, right? It depends on how your week went this week, as to how excited you are today as to whether Jesus will come back or not. In fact, some of you maybe had such a week that you thought about not even coming to church because you blew it so bad this week, you didn't know if you even ought to show up here, much less the idea of facing Jesus face-to-face, and you're kind of nervous about that right now. For some of you came in here today, and you're like, if Jesus came back right now at this very moment, it would not be too soon for me. I am ready in this moment. I am ready for him to come back. Well, there were times when growing up, I would say something like this. I can't wait for my dad to come home. And there were other moments where my mom would say, you just wait till your father gets home. 
It depended on how the day was going as to whether or not I was excited about him coming home or whether I was scared to death about him coming home, right? It all depends. You remember those moments growing up when your parents would walk in the room, right? And it was just one of those moments where you were caught red-handed with whatever or doing whatever or watching whatever. And, oh, why'd they have to come back right now? Good grief. If I'd known they were coming back right now, I would have done things differently, right? Um, or when they make statements when you're growing up, like, when I come back, your room better be cleaned up. Um, you just think you got more time than what you really do, and so you put it off. You put it off. So uh, this one time, I actually disobeyed my parents, and uh, I, 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 uh, I, s- I snuck out of bed. And uh, at our house, it's a big deal. Once you put to bed, you stay in bed unless, you know, you really need something. And So anyway, I snuck out. I don't remember. If my, if my memory serves me correctly, I think we had friends over, and they were still up, and they were talking, and I was one of those kids that was always interested in everything that was going on, didn't want to miss any conversations or what was happening. And, and so I snuck out of bed, and I kind of got my, you know, my, my head around the corner just a little bit, and I'm kind of listening. And anyway, somebody turns their head my direction, and I think I'm caught, right? So I turn down the hall, and I take off, you know, and I was running extremely fast. And um, I went into my room, and I flew like Superman into my bed. But I flew too far overshot where I should have landed, and my forehead, like, nailed the, the, the nightstand on the other side of my bed. I mean, nailed it. Well, I can't make any noise, right, because I'm not supposed to be up. I'm supposed to be asleep. So I'm rolling around in my bed, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, it's hurting. You know, I'm rolling around. I'm like, man, I'm burning up. I'm sweating everywhere. Oh, my goodness. You know, I'm seven, eight years old, and Finally, it just won't quit hurting, so I do what I don't want to do, and I call for my mom, my dad. Anyway, my dad comes in, and he turns on the light, and it was not sweat that I was feeling. I mean, I had busted it wide open. I looked like that guy on the UFC fight last night. I mean, oh, it was, it was nasty, and it was everywhere. You're talking about being caught red-handed, right? Of course, then my dad proceeded to spank me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Obviously, I had learned my lesson, right? I had learned my lesson. But it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And there you are in that moment. But there were other times my parents would come home, and I had mowed the yard, and I had washed the car, and I had fed the hogs, right, or whatever else that you did. And I was ready for them to get what we do, okay, determines whether or not we're excited about somebody coming back. Hopefully when Jesus comes back for you, it's going to be a good to see you, good to see you too moment, right? That's what we want. That's why we're here today. I don't know how your week went. I don't know how your year is going, but I'm here to tell you that through the grace of Jesus Christ, we all can have that moment when he comes back for us to say good to see you and for him to say good to see you too. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and he's coming back for us one day. And he doesn't want us to shrink back in shame. Verse 29. Since we know that Christ is righteous, holy, pure, undefiled, okay, righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. 
And we're going to talk about this more to hopefully let this unfold and to, to be layered back so that we can see it a little bit more. But Jesus is righteous, holy, no sin in him whatsoever. No sin in him before he came to this earth. No sin in him while he lived on this earth. No sin in him after he has left this earth and he's at the right hand of the Father today. He is completely and fully righteous. Now that's a big deal. Because in case you didn't know in and of yourself, you are not righteous. All right? In case you didn't know that. And it is the righteousness of Christ that made him to be the perfect sacrifice for our unrighteousness and for our sin. So that one day by our faith being placed in him and his righteousness, when he comes back because of his grace and because of his forgiveness, we can say to him, good to see you, and he can say to us, good to see you too. And that only happens because of the power and the grace and the hope that comes through his righteousness. We'll talk about this more. Verse number one. See how very much our Father loves us. This is a beautiful phrase. Take a look. Take a long, deep look. Take a, a wide lens look at how much the Father loves us. Okay, so let's get a little idea of how much he loves us. This idea of this type of love that God has for us carries forth this word, this word of exotic. And I don't know what you think about when you think about the word exotic, but I got a picture on the screen for you that takes me back to my childhood, and that right there screams exotic. Okay, I had a picture like this hanging on my wall. I also toted a trapper keeper every day to school with one of these on there. Here's what we mean by exotic. Okay, it comes from another land. Okay, exotic. It doesn't come from around you or in you. You can't get it from here. It has to come from somewhere else. The other thing that exotic screams is, you cannot afford it. No chance of you getting it. No chance. Unless something miraculous happens and someone gives you a gift that you do not deserve. The love of God is exotic. You can't get it from here. Okay? It's bigger, it's greater, it's grander, it's more expensive, it's more valuable than you can ever even fathom or imagine. It doesn't come from here. He imports it in, that's Jesus, he imports in his love and he gives it to us even though we don't deserve it, even though we can't earn it, even though we cannot pay for it, he gives it to us. See how very much the Father loves us. It's an exotic an exotic love, an extraordinary love. Now, this is important for us to notice this before we continue to go on. I want you to get the big idea this morning, and that is this. You don't need to be good to be righteous. You need to be loved. Now, at first, you may not even be able to process that. Maybe you've just read it, and you're like, I don't know about that. Let's process it a little bit. You don't need to be good to be righteous. You need to be loved. 
This whole love of God thing, truth, hugeness, exoticness that there is to it is the essence of who we are as believers. We are nothing, we are especially not righteous if it's not for the love of God. You cannot do enough good to earn a righteous standing before God. If your mentality is, I'm going to do enough good so that God will like me, so that God will love me, so that God will accept me, you are trying to pay for something that you cannot pay for. It's an exotic love that's imported in that can only be gifted to you. And so this goodness that we think that we have that's going to earn us righteousness, it's not the way it works. It's only the love of God, Jesus coming down here for us, the love of God being fully expressed to us, and us embracing it and receiving it by faith that can cause me or you to be righteous. And so this is going to weird some of you out. But I'll stand up here today, and I'll say to you with confidence and humility, I am righteous. When's the last time you declared that about yourself? And let me just pause, and let me just tell you, I'm not declaring that about myself. I'm just telling you what Jesus has declared over me through his love. I'm not telling you I'm righteous because I haven't done anything wrong. In fact, I told you I disobeyed my parents one time. That was the time I told you about. Right? How many more times did I do things my parents don't even know about, right? How many other things do I, have I done in my life that I don't think anybody knows about? And so I'm not declaring to you that I'm a good person. I'm not declaring to you that I've done more good than I've done bad. I'm not declaring to you that I've never sinned. I'm declaring to you that I've been loved by God and I've received it by faith. And he, Jesus, who is righteous, has made, listen to me, made me righteous. That is incredible. And the same truth is true over you if you've experienced Christ through salvation. It is your only hope. It is your only hope if one of these days Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be a good to see you, good to see you too moment. It's only because of the righteousness of Christ being put in you and on you through the love of God. So you don't need to be good to be righteous. You need to be loved. So we're talking very much about our identity. And notice what it goes on to say in verse number one. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his what? He calls us his children. I don't call myself or declare myself to be a child of God. Now, I can tell you I'm a child of God, but I'm not a child of God because I told you I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God because God in his love, which is exotic, not from here, can't be purchased, can't be earned, has declared me and declared you as his children. God is my father. I am his son. That is so huge. And it's only because he has declared me to be that because I have placed my faith in the righteousness of Christ and experienced the love of Christ that I have then received this incredible declaration in which he calls us his children. His love changes us. It changes who we are. We are now children of God. That is, again, what we are. It's a title. 
It's also a reality. It's a reality now, present tense. And it's also the reality of our future because of his forgiveness. We are his children now and we are his children forever. So if I'm a child of God, if you're a child of God, it's only because of our birth, we could call it our second birth, that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of our morality, not because of our spirituality, but because of Jesus. Again, you don't need to be good to be righteous. You need to be loved. Very important to notice. Not everyone is a child of God. Okay? We, we can't go out and stand up before millions of people and say we're all the children of God. It's not true. We're only children of God through our faith being placed in his righteousness and experiencing his love and salvation through the forgiveness of our sin. That's how you become a child of God. Now, everyone belongs to him as their creator, but he's only father to those who receive his one and only son. Look at verse number two. Dear friends, we are already God's children. So it's almost like, in case you didn't catch it before, let me remind you, let me declare this again. We are already God's children. So we're not sitting around, biting our nails, nervous, am I or aren't I, will I or won't I. He's saying to us, because of Jesus and this love that God has for us and the righteousness of Christ, that we are now God's Children, not waiting, not wondering, not having to be scared, not having to wonder if we made the cut or not. We are already God's children. It goes on to say, but he has not yet shown us what we'll be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. This is so huge for us to understand who we already are. Our identity, okay? Children of God, understanding that is going to determine our activity. Some of us are not acting the way we should right now because we have forgotten who we are in Christ. Think about it. Those moments when you do stupid, sinful, foolish things, are you sitting there thinking, well, today I'm a child of God? No, today you're thinking, I want what I want. And I don't care who to belong to. I don't care who wants this. I just want what I want. And we forget that we're children of God in that moment. And he's reminding us we're already the children of God. So our identity is going to determine what we do. It goes on here to talk so much about Jesus and how there is a time to come that he is going to appear. The reason why you haven't arrived yet is because Jesus hasn't arrived yet. The reason why you're still struggling is because you're still in this life and one of these days he's going to come back and he's going to make everything right, everything right, including you. In the meanwhile, we have to remember our identity and live that out and change as he is changing us all because of his love. One of these days the perfect one is going to come and he is going to perfect us. Um, in your notes, I think it's going to be on the screen, just very important to note believers, listen to me. In eternity, we will be with Christ and like Christ. In eternity, we will be with Christ and like Christ. That's going to be good, right? Because if I'm like Christ, that means you're going to be like Christ. And all of us who are believers are going to be like Christ. I'm thinking we're going to get along really, really well in heaven. In the meanwhile, we're practicing, right? We're learning how to get along with each other now. Maybe not because we're fully like Christ, but because we know Christ lives in the other person. And or 
because they're not a believer yet and we want Christ to live in them. Why don't I treat my boss who's not a believer like trash? The reason why I don't treat him like trash is because Jesus died for him. Right? Why, why, do we, why do we not treat that family member that drives us all crazy and just does foolish things? Because Jesus died for them. And we want them to be with Christ. And we want them to be like Christ. And it's not because of their righteousness that they become like Christ. It's only because of the righteousness of Jesus. Verse number 3. And all who have this eager expectation. What's our eager expectation? Jesus is what? Coming back. And he's going to make himself clear to us. We're going to get to see him. And we're going to become like him. And when I say become like him, in character. We're fully, finally going to become like Jesus. This is our focus and our hope and our motivation. Again, verse 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. There is something about knowing that dad's getting home in 10 minutes, right? Right? Okay, I got 10 minutes to get it all done. For whatever reason, and I think we're pretty smart people in this room, God decides to not tell us we have 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 years or 10,000 years. He just says it could be today. It could be today. And so we're living like he's coming back today with that sense of urgency Verse number four, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Just really quick here, in case you didn't know it, we're all messed up in sin. This verse is for anyone who thinks that they are without sin, all right? And if you think that you're without sin, the rest of us are going to get a little bit of chuckle out of that deal because we probably know you, we've watched you, we're going to say nope. And if you don't believe us, we'll go talk to your spouse and they'll prove it, right? And if that doesn't work, let's bring the law of God out and compare ourselves to God's perfect law. Which, by the way, is the ultimate reason for God giving us his law. It's for us to help us to realize that we've broken it. And we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Well, I thought the purpose of the law was for us to keep it. The purpose of the law was for you to realize you can't keep it. And you need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. God gives us something way better than the law in a Savior. Verse number 5. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. And I think we've been talking about this. This is so important. The sinlessness of Jesus is so important to our faith and our hope and our rescue and our cleansing and our cure. God becoming flesh, that's who Jesus is. God coming for us, Jesus, his one and only son coming for us. Look at verse number 6. This is where, and I'll pause just a second, these next few verses, all right, buckle your seatbelt, here we go. Anyone who continues to live in him, meaning Jesus, will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. This is so, so huge as to what's being declared here. Dear children. Don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. I want to pause here on verse number 7 and say quite a few things about verse number 6 and verse number 7 because I think it's so, so important. There is a deception amongst Christianity today. Churches that I've been a part of and I've 
uh, worshipped in and, and hung out with, I would say it's a deception that we've got to be very, very careful with here in this church. And here it is. The deception of the enemy is to get us to think or to believe this terrible lie. And the terrible lie is believe in Jesus, experience salvation, become his child, and then go do whatever you want to do. That is a deception. Here's how that works. If the enemy doesn't think that he can keep you from believing in Jesus... You've already believed in Jesus. There's no stopping that. There's no changing that. Then what he can do is mess with you in how you are going to go about the rest of your life because he knows everything you do affects everyone around you, especially unbelievers. So if I can convince believers they pray to prayer and they're going to heaven and they can act any way they want to, guess what he has probably done as our enemy? He has probably turned person after person after person after person away from Jesus because of us saying we believe in Jesus, but our lives are not declaring that we believe in Jesus. So we see hypocrisy all across Christianity today because we think, well, I pray to prayer and I'm good. You pray to prayer, now Jesus wants to make you good. Okay, He wants to change your life. He's changed your soul. He's changed your eternal destination. Now he wants to change how you think and how you act and how you interact with others. It's this process of being a disciple. It's this process of following Jesus. The direction, which way am I headed right now? Am I headed toward Jesus or am I headed away from Jesus right now? It's all about his righteousness working in and through us. Verse 8 and 9, we're continuing this thought. Verse 8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Ooh, that's a really just light and fluffy saying, isn't it? It goes on to say, who has been sinning since the beginning, speaking of Satan. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, verse 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So question, which one is it? Do we sin or do we not sin? A lot of believers in the room, right? A lot of you, like we placed our faith in Jesus, right? That's who we are. He's talking to believers here. He's teaching us. So which one is it? Do we sin or do we not sin? Well, I don't know what your experience has taught you since you placed your faith in Jesus. Okay? But let me tell you what my experience has been since I placed my faith in Jesus a lot of years ago. I have sinned since I placed my faith in Jesus. I know some of you are dropping your jaws right now. You just can't believe that, right? What you're dropping your jaw about right now is not the reality that I've sinned, but that I'm actually telling you that. Okay, Because we just read these verses, and wow, he actually said that out loud. So, so how does this work? How does this flesh out? What, what's being taught here? What's being shown to us? Here's what we know. The Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is constantly and consistently leading us away from sin. That's what the Holy Spirit's constantly doing, leading us away from sin. In verse number 9, it says, Those who have been born into God's family, believers, okay, children of God, 
Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Here's what it means to practice. Sharpen your skills. To use or to do with proficiency. If you are going about your life proclaiming Jesus and you are spending your life practicing, sharpening your skills and going about with proficiency in your sin, there is a serious soul rub that's going on within you right now and should be. And should be. Okay? This word practice is so very, very important. Again, it's this idea that I'm doing it over and over again to get better at it. To get better at it. Uh, let's just think about college. A lot of people spend their entire college years practicing getting better at sin. I'm not saying everybody does, but it's just kind of, it's kind of part of our culture. We kind of think, ah, those four years, just go do whatever you want to do and just get better at whatever you want to do, and it doesn't matter what it is, and just get better at it. Some of you never left college, and you're still practicing, trying to get sharper, trying to get better. For some of us, we look back at our college years, and we're embarrassed, and we're ashamed, and we're like, God brought me out of that, and he's taught me, and he's changing me, right? Here's what I'm saying. If you're still living out your college years, proverbially, and you're just practicing and getting better at it, there's something amiss in your soul, and it may, it may be the fact that Jesus doesn't live there. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to get you to doubt. I'm trying to get you to assess the reality. Does Jesus live in me, and is he changing my life right now consistently? Which way am I headed right now? Is my direction toward Jesus and following him, or is my direction away from him doing my own thing? Is it, well, I prayed a prayer way back over there, and now I just get to do my own thing? That is not what we find in Scripture ever. So one of two things is going on here in your soul right now, as is happening in mine too. Either God is using himself and his truth right now to reveal to us that it's Jesus doesn't live in us. We've never placed our faith in him, and we need to place in our faith in him today to be changed. Or the Holy Spirit lives inside of you because you're a believer, and there are things in your life that should not be there. And he's saying, nope, no more. Get out of it now. God's using this to point us toward Jesus, either way, either way. God's working in your life to change you. God brought you here this morning to change you, okay? He didn't bring you here this morning to make you feel bad or to feel guilty, or he brought you here this morning to change you, okay? So if you feel bad this morning, that's not where Jesus wants to leave you. He wants you to feel and to experience forgiveness. If you recall back in chapter 1 that we studied through, and if you're picking us up in the middle of this thing, in the middle of the letter, I encourage you to go back and read. I encourage you to go back and listen to these sermons. In 1 John chapter 1, John told believers, hey, if you have sin, what should you do with it? You should confess it, and our Father who is faithful to forgive will do what? He will forgive you. Do you see this exotic love that just keeps flowing out, these incredible things like grace on us? But the question is, is Jesus in me or not? And what does he want to do in my heart and my life today? Which direction are you headed, toward Jesus or toward sin? Verse 10. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. 
Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Whew, these verses just keep coming, don't they? It's almost as if God's serious about this whole thing. What's he serious about? You. You. Why is God so serious about your sin? Because he's serious about you. Why did God send his one and only son, Jesus, because he's serious about you? He knew that you had a problem, I had a problem that we couldn't fix on our own. It's called sin, and the only remedy for it is Jesus. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that if you are a believer, two things are consistently going to show up in your life. And you're going to see them on the screen. I think you've got this on your notes. Two things are consistently going to show up in your life. One is life change. Life change. There's some people in here, if you'd have met them 10 years ago, you would not want to be in the same room with them. And maybe you couldn't be because maybe there was some place in which you had to have special access to, right? I don't know. I'm just saying there's some seriously changed and changing people in this room. Praise God for that, right? Like if Jesus has changed your life, I mean, hallelujah, praise Jesus, right? We're not in here because we're good people. We're in here because we're changed people. And he's consistently changing us. Life change. Number two, one thing that's going to continually show up in your life is loving others. Ooh, that one's tough, right? I mean, some people are easy to love and some people are hard to love and some of you are married to them, right? <laughs> or you're related to them. Or you work with them. Or you live next door to them. And what God is showing me and showing you right here is that his exotic love from another country that we cannot afford has been given to us. It has been imported into our life. And our role, responsibility, privilege, and duty is to share that exotic love with others. Who? The people that deserve it? Not just them. Because remember, you don't deserve it either. It's to share it with others. And so I will say to you that if life change is not happening in your life right now, and if consistently striving to love others through the love of Christ is not showing up in your life right now, verse 10 causes us to wrestle in our soul right now, as you should, to say, who do I belong to? So a couple questions. Do you know Jesus? And are you ready for Jesus to come back? And I'm telling you, the way you know Jesus is not by straightening it all out and getting it all together and tidying it all up. It's for him to walk into your life right now with all the mess and all the junk and all the sin and say, here it is. And to say, I believe in you, and I believe that you can forgive me. I believe that you can cleanse me. I believe that you can change me. I believe that you can save me. And guess what he will do? He will do just that. That's what he did for the rest of us. That's the only way we got in, was through Jesus and his grace and through his love. If you know him, and he is yours. Are you ready for him to come back? Maybe you're like, not today. Well, let's shift that. 
through God's grace and through his love and just allow him to change us even today so that we're ready for him to come back so that we can point others to him. Again, you don't need to be good to be righteous. You need to be loved. God loves you. He loves you with an exotic love. Will you receive his love? He wants you to have his righteousness. Will you receive and experience his righteousness that he affords to us through Jesus? You can't be good enough on your own. You need Jesus. Jesus is available. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to change you. He's coming back one day, and he wants to say, nice to see you. That's the reason why he came the first time. He came the first time so that when he comes back the second time, he can say to anyone and everyone, it's nice to see you, but it only comes when we place our faith in him. Some next steps for you to consider this morning. Maybe it's just to understand that you are fully loved by God. Uh, man, I've been pastoring for quite a few years now. And what I'm finding out is there's a lot of people that I go to church with every week. And I'm not just talking about this gathering, but I'm talking about other churches I've been a part of. But yeah, I'm talking about this one too. That just really wonder, like, does God really, really fully love me? And I'm just here to tell you, the scripture declares that he does. You need to know that and receive that and live in that. And maybe your next step today is just allow God's love to change you, believing that his love is for you so that he can change you. This is not about gritting your teeth and becoming a better person. This is about believing in Jesus fully and allow him to do something in you that you cannot do in and through yourself. And this next one, maybe to share God's love so that, and fill in the blank with that name of who that needs to be can be changed. Like there's somebody in your life that needs the love of God. You have it. It's been imported to you. You need to share it with someone else. Let's pray.